Um, a significant risk taker, I think you would know that if you'd started a 21 million build at a time when the financial climate wasn't great. But it's always very, very calculated risks. I really, really believe that if you don't take risks, then you'll never get anywhere. From Positive Momentum, this is Meet the CEO, a show that takes you behind the scenes of the working lives of those people who have reached what some might call the pinnacle of the career ladder. I'm Barbara Brown, partner at Positive Momentum, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Rona Bailey, the CEO at the Prince and Princess of Wales Hospice. Rona is a highly experienced senior healthcare director with a strong history of redesigning healthcare models and a special interest and education in cancer and palliative care, working both in the UK and overseas in Canada. Rona identified a gap in the provision of care in the community, campaigned for cancer in Scotland, and led a successful project which received a special commendation by the Scottish Parliament. Rona was seconded to the Scottish Executive Centre for Change and Innovation as a national facilitator within the Cancer Service Improvement Programme and worked across Scotland. She was appointed CEO of the Prince and Princess of Wales Hospice in 2008 a past chairman of the Scottish Hospice Leadership Group and a former member of the Council of the Scottish Partnership for Palliative Care, in addition to being a director of Glasgow Chamber of Commerce Council. Her passion and strong commitment to Glasgow saw her successfully lead a £21 million capital fundraising appeal to provide the city with a whole new hospice. So Rona, welcome and tell us, why did you become a CEO? Hello, Barbara. Thank you so much for having me this afternoon. And that's a great question because I'm going to start with, I never did plan to become a CEO. I'm a, a nurse by background, as you described, since 1984, and everything that's ever driven me has been total, totally clinical and all about being patient-centred. So um, I probably fell into this role a little bit, but absolutely found my niche very quickly. So I was working for Scottish Government when the Prince and Princess of Wales Hospice, I think, discovered me and asked me to come and do some work for them. And I just never left. So their, their chief executive at the time was Ian Laidlaw. He was a fantastic guy. He was a bit of what I would call a dog with a bone. And he really, really wanted me to come there. And eventually, after about six coffees, I thought there's a reason that this is happening. I'm going to, I just loved how determined he was because I'm quite determined. Um, I'm going to go and I'm going to try and help him and I'll only be there a short while. Um, and I just didn't ever leave the, the role. I found that the skills that I had from previous roles, first starting in banking with Bank of Scotland when I was 16 year old, I think. Um, my skills of, uh, I think, managing volatile personalities, I'm going to say, um, in a chip shop that I worked in for quite a while, gave me a lot of great people skills. Um, and my leadership, um, if I do a leadership presentation, it's called the bird from the chippy. So, you know, I, I think there's there's lots that I could bring to the table that probably is not very traditional. And, and I just found that all of those skills brought together um, were really, really helpful to me. And I absolutely loved the role. And my husband actually talked me into staying in that role because he thought I could make big changes and do a lot of good rather than staying in the clinical world. So that's how I got there in the first place. A non-traditional pathway, no wrong path. 
It's, it's brilliant though, isn't it? And that sheer determination to make a difference is so clear in terms of the impact across the hospice. It's brilliant. So tell us then, what part of your day is sacrosanct, the part that you preserve at all costs? So I've got more than one part of my day. I think, I think I've got about three parts of my day. So first of all, I'm going to start at 6am. And this is something that's really important to me is that I have a, a little rescue dog from Romania who was very, very badly damaged when we got her. And she's really, really important to us. And we have a great discipline of walking her at 6am when it's quiet and there's not a lot of people around because she's very nervous. But actually, it's a really important part of the day for us because there's no phones. I walk with my husband and it doesn't matter if it's rain, hail or snow. Um, and it's just really important to have that time with her with no phones um, just gathering your thoughts first thing in the morning and then we come home and have breakfast. So that's the first thing that's really important. And I think that's really, really great for stress levels and just for giving yourself some time out. Um, the second part for me is when I drive to work because that's when I do all my thinking. So I'm on the M74 coming from Straven into Glasgow into the hospice and that's when I have my best ideas. And I'll tell you a bit more about that later when we talk about our uh, hospice capital appeal. And then the third time, of course, I, I, I do have times during the day. I always make sure I have lunch. I think it's really important to get time out there. But the third time of the day, that's really great relaxation, but also some thinking time for me as I go to the gym nearly every night at six o'clock. Um, and that's really very, very important for de-stressing. And again, when I'm driving home, that's my thinking time. So it's not always in the office for me. My best ideas have come to me out of the office, but I think having worked many, many hours, eight o'clock in the morning to maybe one in the morning for a number of years, which I don't think is always good for you, I've become much more structured and disciplined in having my, my own time out now and, and time where I can think that's out with office hours and out with the actual traditional office. It's really helpful. But great examples of well, as just the, the idea of doing things that are family related, that are personally related, and gives you that really yes. important thinking time. Great examples. Mm -hmm. So in recent times then, there's been lots of very challenging situations. Um, tell us a bit more about the most challenging event or situation that you've encountered in your role as CEO, and perhaps what you've learned from it. So there's many, many challenging times. And as we know, we're in a really challenging environment just now, especially with income generation. But I'm going to take us back probably about three or four years because the biggest challenge of my career ever was the £21 million capital appeal to build Glasgow's new hospice. And I remember making a decision in 2010 that the hospice that we were in at Carrollton Place was no longer fit for purpose. And... I think I remember then it was a very challenging time financially. It wasn't the best time to start a capital appeal, but I was really determined to start it then because I knew that I had the right team. And I think that people are absolutely everything. If you've got the right people around you, you can achieve anything, no matter what the climate or the environment is. So we started this capital appeal. I was absolutely naive um, to what £21 million and raising it meant as well as keeping the hospice doors open. And that was a £3.5 million fundraise every year into the bargain. Um, 
you're building one new build and then keeping the other one running and making sure that primarily your patients and families still had the best care. That was massively challenging, but I found it massively exciting. I enjoyed every minute of it. We worked night and day and I had a fantastic team round about me and I had the biggest learns in my career in that, that if there are any gaps in your own skills, you surround yourself with absolutely brilliant people who can help you. And everything about that building, that beautiful new building and raising that 21 million was about the people we surrounded ourselves with. So um, every day, um, my colleague would say that every day was a school day. Uh, and I absolutely agree with that because the lessons learned were huge. And one of the biggest ones, and my husband told me this every other day, don't let fear creep in. So, you know, the minute you let fear creep in about 20, a £21 million appeal, then, you know, you're stuffed, basically. So we, we didn't ever let fear creep in. And we were just really positive. Take the knocks when you're down, but actually really, really celebrate the, you know, when you have a great result. So that was my biggest learn. And it's something I absolutely loved. And it will go with me to the end of my days that, that you know, of being a part of leading that, that appeal and providing that new build for Glasgow. It was excellent. What a legacy. When you think about the impact that all of that hard work and determination brought to life such a magnificent opportunity for Glasgow and, and a life-changing opportunity for many, many people. Um, I, and I'm sure we'll hear some more about that as you continue. Who has most influenced the way that you lead? I thought that's a great question for me because it's never ever going to be any one person. And I would say, that it's more a personality type for me. I've, I learn, I, I probably don't learn in the classroom so much as I learn by watching other people. Um, and, and I suppose that's learning from the good and the bad as well. So there's, I'm going to call out four people that have really influenced me, but I, I want to emphasize the personality types of all of these people. And the first thing I want to say is they are all of them absolutely brilliant and none of them have an ego. And that's really important to me because I think when you're dealing with terminally ill people, ego cannot get in the way of it because you have to focus on the patient and family. So the first person um, was my Capital Appeal Chairman, Charles Berry, uh, who has just retired after many years as Chairman of the Weird Group. And he taught me such a lot. Um, he's, he's really very, very strategic, but very, very kind. And everything was all about the patient and the family as well for him. And we worked together really well. Fantastic man. Very, very giving person. Second one was Jack Perry, who was a chief exec of Scottish Enterprise. And he was also involved with the building, the, the construction phase. Um, Jack, also just somebody who worked really, really hard wasn't looking for any reward or recognition for himself, just like Charles, and, and really, really helped me to navigate through a lot of the difficulties in the build. And then you get the people who are just absolutely wonderful people and want to give back again. So I'm going to say Alistair Wiley, CCG, um, is a guy who really, really helped us, is amazing, and his head's under the parapet. You know, quite a lot, again, didn't want recognition. And then my fourth one is Brian Duffy, Oram Holdings in London. So all of these people now, interestingly, that's four men. I have been very influenced by a lot of fantastic women as well, but that's the four people that helped me to get through the build. Um, they're, they're all still with us today, and I, I'll never forget those people. And I just think 
of how humble they are every day. And I hope that's the kind of leader that I am. It's not about me. It's about our patients and families at the hospice. It's such a true point, though, isn't it? You know, that lack of ego that really makes such a difference to fabulous leaders as well. Yeah, I think that very hands-on approach, I won't ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do, is, is somebody that I hope that I am. I hope I'm that with my team, and I've definitely taken that from other people. And, and those are only four of people who, you know, people that have influenced me over the years. But that's the kind of person that really impresses me. Great. They're not out else. Great examples. What's the secret to an effective senior leadership team for you? Oh, great question because I've got a very, very good leadership team at the hospice, but obviously that leadership team has changed over the years. Um, people who are really, really dedicated and you've got a common goal. So I think the most important thing for me is in a leadership team is you have to have a really, really good strategy and common goals and everybody has to buy into that and know where they're going. So again, of course, I'm going to tell you it's generating, you know, three and a half million pounds a year. It's very important, but at the hospice, we again bring it all down to the patient and family so that everybody buys into that. Dave, for me, open door policy and having daily interaction with the leadership team um, you know, we can have very structured meetings, but the door's always open and the door's always open with them to their team. And we think that's a really, really important approach. I think great honesty as well. We have to really praise when things go right, but we have to be really, really honest when things have not gone right and you have to learn from them. And so I, I really do believe in straight talking and honesty and they're all the same. So, and that's a two way. I would expect them to come to me if they thought, that I wasn't performing well in some way. So I think that honesty and allowing everybody just to have their say is really, really important. I've surrounded myself with really talented people. I'm not going to lie about that because I don't have all the skills. I've got lots of gaps in my knowledge and I totally rely on them. And I think just allowing them to be autonomous is really important to me because you can really let them flourish, but know when to stand in when you see them maybe needing a bit of help. But I think... I um, absolutely hate micromanaging. I hope I never do it. I hope they say that I never do it. And then the other thing is a variation of personalities. I think that's really important in a team because um, it makes it more fun. Uh, it produces more innovation. And if we were all the same, it would be a dull old world. So that that's, I suppose, I suppose letting them have a big voice and go their own way you know as long as we've got this common goal you can really trust them to do that and that's what makes a great team at the hospice that's what works for us brilliant brilliant when you think about looking forward what's the biggest change in the horizon for you um I think I think there's lots of changes in the horizon I think obviously at the moment there's an awful lot of challenges in healthcare, and we're constantly having to navigate that round so if you look at how the hospice functions it's almost it's got two sides of it and they're quite separate in my head you've got the the clinical side of it which is obviously our bread and butter and what we do but you obviously have to generate income um to you know to keep that going so there's there's challenges in both sides of them but you know if i was to start with clinical it's um Everything's different now, you know, so we two years of a pandemic where we uh, people we were online with people and there's still quite a, a great demand for that. that it's less face to face. That's been quite a difficult transition for me because everything about 
how I've always nursed or cared for people has been face to face. And I, I really highly believe in that. But sometimes people don't want that now. So I think that transition, it's a digital transition. I would say, uh, and across the whole hospice. So we're we're undergoing um, a digital, we've got a new digital strategy. It's just about to be implemented just now. So I think digitally, we need to really keep up and change and make sure that we're giving patients and families what they want and where they want. So I think that is quite a significant challenge for us just now, as well as it's very difficult just now in the health service because it's not functioning at full level. And it's how we navigate our way through that and make sure that the patients and families, people that come to us are well cared for. And actually, in some cases, that we're getting all the referrals that we should have. So that's challenging at the minute. And then I suppose that the other thing that is significantly challenging at the minute is income generation as we knew it, as charities know it. So what we would call traditional fundraising is very challenging as well. And it was being ahead of the game for that and very... I'm just going to say very luckily here, but I don't think it's to do with luck. I think it's to do with planning ahead. We realised this even before the pandemic, you know, three or four years ago, that we need to start generating income in different ways, or even before that. You know, so social enterprise businesses, a lot of charities are starting their own businesses, and the income from that goes to, um, to supplement the patient care. So... I think we're a bit ahead of the game there with that, but I think we really need to constantly keep on our toes in how we keep people interested in the hospice and how we generate income, because obviously in this very difficult financial climate that we're in for people, we have to be very aware um, of looking after the community that serve us as well and not just asking for funds at this particular time. So, you know, I think for a charity chief exec, there's lots of challenges, and I think I've been told many times you know, it's it's not a difficult job, but it could be quite a lonely job because you don't have a big infrastructure of people. You know, for instance, if I was in the NHS, you'd have all sorts of teams round about you. You don't have that. I don't make it lonely because I make sure I'm surrounded by great external people. But it it, it can be quite challenging at times if you're a, an individual charity. So, yeah, lots of challenges ahead, but nothing's ever insurmountable, is it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So just to close us off then, three quick pieces of advice for anyone aspiring to become a CEO. Oh, my biggest one is never change who you are. I remember when I first came into this role, I probably fixated a little. This would be 16 years ago about what people thought about me, how I should act, should I change. I was very aware that I was heading up a charity um, that was a big brand and, you know, and it, people would be looking to me for advice and to see what kind of behaviours I had. And I very quickly learned, if you lose who you are, then it's it's not a great place to be at all. So always be true to who you are. And I suppose as part of that first message is always be able to say sorry when you get it wrong and, and then correct yourself and get it right. There is no wrong, actually. Everything's a learn. Um, second thing is, and I've already touched on this, is recognise the gaps in your own knowledge and surround yourself with brilliant people. I really do believe in that. I've done that my whole career. I tell my own two children about everything. Everything in life is about who you know and who can help you and how you can help them. And you've obviously got to give back. And then my third one is to take calculated risks and don't let that fear creep in. I'm um, a significant risk taker. I think you would know that if you'd started a 21 million build 
at a time when the financial climate wasn't great. But it's always very, very calculated risks. I really, really believe that if you don't take risks, then you'll never get anywhere. So that's my three pieces of advice, and they've always worked for me. The brilliant people one's very important, I think. Rona, brilliant advice for our listeners. Um, you've taken us through all of the interesting parts of your journey, and you've called out some really specific points that I'm sure our listeners will take on board um, and use wisely. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for your time, Barbara. Lovely speaking to you. Thank you. Sound advice indeed from Rona. She endorses the benefits of building a diverse team of talent, being brave and determined, striking out to achieve significant goals and always facing into challenge without fear. I was really impressed about the point in building quality reflection daily time and making sure that there's a really healthy work-life balance ensues. Many thanks again to Rona and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please listen to our back catalogue and please share with your friends so that we can get more listeners to hear Meet the CEO.